I think productivity is the holy grail of our industry. And from the time that I came around in 2001 to now, mm -hmm. I have not spoken with many companies that honestly I think have figured it out because I can define productivity one way, you can define it another way. Every company that I ever consulted with, met with, talked to, everybody's got a different version of productivity. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, known as the ConApp Guru. Rob McKinney is a self-taught construction technologist who began his career, construction career as a safety director for J.M. Wilkerson Construction. Since then, he's had a wide-reaching experience in contact He's now on a mission to educate the industry about the uses of new apps and technologies on projects. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. So Very good. how would you, let's kind of set the table by defining terms. How would you define productivity for the trades and construction? Let's start off with just that as a concept. I think productivity is the holy grail of our industry. And from the time that I came around in 2001 to now, mm -hmm. I have not spoken with many companies that honestly I think have figured it out because I can define productivity one way, you can define it another way. Every company that I ever consulted with, met with, talked to, everybody's got a different version of productivity. It's yeah. fascinating. You know, it's the traditional, I think, would be, you know, how much work is output in the field. But when you say output and you talk to a mechanical versus electrical versus a plumber, they're all pretty close, but drywall, paint, landscaping, concrete, every trade almost has it a completely different idea in their head of how you would define productivity. But at the, at the highest levels, I would think it, it's, it, you're trying to measure your throughput of how much work was installed. Mm -hmm. But the more I've learned the last few years working in the trades, specifically in the MEPs, when you say installed work, that's a really loaded question, right? Because if you're talking to an, uh, a mechanical that's putting duct in, well, just because they hung the duct, does it really mean it's installed? Right. Or the electrical, they shot conduit to the ceiling. Did they pull wire? It gets really interesting uh, very quickly. a lot of ambiguity there. There really is. You know, when you, you know, talk about concrete, well, did you form it? Did you pour it? Is it finished? I mean, every trade you start diving into, there's these little rabbit holes of, well, what really is productivity at the end of the day to them? It's a very particular, it's a very personal question, I think, to every trade. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you see as some of the, the biggest hurdles to, obviously the definition would be a hurdle, but right. uh, what, what are some other hurdles to productivity for the trades? Well, a good friend of mine, Brent Darnell, taught me a long time ago uh, a lot of things about productivity in this industry. And he has one of the more amazing quotes, and I'm not sure I'll get it exactly right, but he always talks about the miracle of construction. Mm -hmm. And by that, he's referring to what other industry on the planet thinks that it's a good idea to take a different set of designers with a different set of contractors, with a different set of materials, with a different design on a different location, and think it's all going to go together right the first time. 
<laughs> you mean chaos isn't a, a recipe for success? <laughs> Maybe controlled chaos, because even if you're, even if you're building the same product, right? I mean, we're down here in Atlanta. Everybody knows the name Chick-fil-A and they build stores all across the United States. But every one of the stores are going to have something a little bit different, right? The way it sits on the piece of land or the elevation or there's always something. And how do you control that? So that's kind of one of the mindsets you have to kind of get around first is our industry. It's an amazing industry. And it is so unlike anything else because we're not manufacturing. We don't put widgets out, the same widget in the same order day after day after day. We're not an assembly line. We're trying to get there, right? You hear a lot of talk about lean construction. We hear a lot of talk of prefabrication and Josh Bones teaching me about kidding and all these other terms. That's still not the, the everyday standard, right? So what is it that really is challenging a lot of our trades? Well, let's talk about four main things, really. The first one has always been scheduling. Uh, I came from a general contractor and it was always fascinating for me to sit back and watch of how does the general contractor know how to schedule all the trades. You know, the generalist telling the specialist how to put everything in place. Really? I've always <laughs> kind of wondered about that. So there's an issue of the trade trying to schedule each other in sequence with the other trades. Case in point, you know, let's, let's kind of stay with the MEPs for a minute. If you're looking down a hallway of a product, a hospital, a apartment, a condo, whatever it is, if we're talking mechanical, electrical, duct, plumbing, you know, we all kind of know that there, one of those is really big and doesn't go very far. But why is it always last to go in versus the other things that you can kind of move around a little bit in the scheduling battle? So scheduling, I think, is one of the big things that all the trades have to battle through of how do they sequence their work in and keep, you know, the general contractor happy and the owner happy. Mm -hmm. uh, another big one, and maybe it's just because we live down in the south, but weather. Think about the impact of weather from the beginning of a project when you're out clearing the land or taking out a building. If you're doing something out in the elements, that always really seems to mess with schedules because as mm -hmm. best we can, we have these weather predicting systems, but like we were just They're talking. They're always highly accurate. Oh, yeah. To the nth degree. Right. <laughs> you know, when's it going to start raining? When's it going to stop raining? And that always seems to be a debate in this industry. Like, how much did it actually rain? Are you pulling your weather report off the zip code, the city, the precise GPS coordinates? I mean, those rain gauges, it's amazing how accurate a rain gauge really can be. Uh, another one, delivery of materials. That's always seems to be such a bottleneck on job sites of everybody wants to deliver everything now. Mm -hmm. You know, I can tell you horror stories of being on job sites and everything shows up literally the same time of, why would you ship 200 bathtubs to a job at one time, along with 200 toilets and 200 sinks? You can't install all of that at one time, let alone how do you offload that much material and utilize the buck hoist? So delivering those materials gets really interesting how to sequence a job. You know, once you start hearing about lean and some of the newer methodologies, it is possible to sequence it, but generally most jobs unfortunately have one crane one buck hoist. Maybe you have two, but even there, I mean, it's a, not easy to bring a lot of material in. Plus, does storing the material, you push things around a job a lot. Right. Um, the last one that I can really see that it has affected a lot of companies is changes the scope. And let's say after we've gone to contract, mm. you know, how many horror stories have we all heard of owners changing their mind? <laughs> Four floors up, eight floors up of they want different things. Right. And that really puts a, a wrinkle into things for the trades. But I think those would be four major ones that we still are struggling with 
in our industry a lot of how do we schedule right? How do you manage the weather, control your deliveries, and also just changes the scope. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a lot for them to hold on to. So in, in spite of that, what are some routines that people can put into place to try to tap on this productivity and, and really enhance it? There's a few things I remember from talking back in my general contractor days and also working with a lot of trades. Uh, first one, let's just start with pre-planning and really utilize that time before you start a project to make the best plan you can, but with understanding that that plan probably is going to change the first day you hit the job, the second week you're on it, the, the third month, you know, they're going to change, but you have to have a plan in place. Mm-hmm. And specifically really thinking about, you know, I talked about the schedules before of, you know, do you really want to really dial in a detailed 18 month schedule to the minor, minor details versus really having your crews thinking through how to do two week look ahead and four week look aheads with a lot of planning in there for a, a couple reasons. First is your manpower. How much crew size do you think you're going to need and materials? So, you know, focus first on that pre-planning of how you're going to get out to the jobs. The second, and this is, this is part of that Holy grail when you're talking about productivity is, why is it such a purple elephant to track the installation of materials? <laughs> you know, you know, we start tracking anything in this industry, bodies, installed work, people lose their minds for right. some reason, but you got to know it's been put in place. So whatever the company is, you have to have some kind of metric, you know, it can be per day, it could be per week, or more specifically, depending on what you install, do you measure it by the linear foot? Do you measure it by the square foot? Do you measure it by pounds, by tons, by pieces? You know, what are those numbers, the metric numbers you're trying to hit that at the end of the day, make a company profitable? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm hearing the need to slow down to speed up. Mm-hmm. Then taking your time on the front side, kind of map it out with the, the need to be flexible and adapt as, as changes come up. But the, the more you can kind of plan out on the front side and really yeah. communicate, bring everybody to the table at one time, communicate and plan. Absolutely. Don't forget about your equipment too. That's a huge issue of understanding how much equipment you need on a site. Mm-hmm. More importantly, where is the equipment? What's the usage? You know, the more we're getting into the IOT, you know, the internet of things and connected devices, it's going to get a little bit easier to understand. But I can tell you back before, you know, using a whiteboard to track where scissors lifts were and aerial lifts and dozers were was really not a smart way to do it. Uh, not a good idea, but it, there's, there's a lot of things going into productivity mm-hmm. and the company's just got to really think through what is their throughput? What are they trying to measure? And find some new tools. Yeah. Uh, so how should people readjust their, their views and habits in light of what all is going on around us? Boy, I wish I had a crystal ball there. We are in uncharted territory like we've never been, right? This whole COVID thing is throwing everybody for a loop. You know, the safety professionals are all scratching their heads looking around and trying to figure out what are the practices and procedures that they need to write up right now to deliver the training, to get mm-hmm. the PPE and the, and the distancing right, to actually go back to work and, and keep the crews healthy. My heart goes out to all the workers that are out there and the safety professionals trying to look out for them, you know. When I was doing it sure. for 14 years, I worried about a lot of things. Luckily, this was not one of them. I mean, who honestly, a year ago, really thought pandemic was going to hit at this kind of level ever in our lifetime. So 
There's a lot of chaos with the safety professionals trying to figure out how can we put crews safely to work. And right behind them holding their hand is the operations people of how many people do we have ready, willing, trained, and protected that are willing to go to work? Mm-hmm. How are they going to get to work? You know, some of the uh, webinars that I've been watching about the best practices, it's getting just mind numbing trying to think, you know, the six foot rule, for example, how do you maintain, maintain six feet on a buck hoist? to get in and out of a building how do you maintain six feet carpooling with people Mm. or if you are still taking public transit you know what do you do so the safety people are having to think really hard about how to get crews to work and keep them safe and take them home and not you know spread anything and then the operations people trying to figure out basically the same same question because wow how do you go back now and put is there uh, i don't think there's a uh, a tab in p6 or any of the scheduling programs for covid you know, it's not float. It's not drift. I mean, yeah, it's past a rut row. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so what are some ways uh, to practically measure productivity to help transform it from just a buzzword? Hmm. Let me think about a couple different ways to kind of look at this. I think first is a company really has to develop a sound process for what you're trying to track. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you need a feedback loop. So the, the, you know, the company that I came from was a self-performing concrete contractor. Okay. How do you get the work installation measurements from those foremen in the field to the superintendent, in the trailer, back to the project manager at the office, but ultimately feeding it back to your estimator? You know, because right now we're seeing all these changes to jobs, the delays, the extra time it takes to get on site, to sanitize Mm. tools. How are they right now capturing those extra little amounts? And what if it's only 32 minutes a day? That's still 32 minutes a day times five days a week of how are the foremen feeding that information back to the office to recalculate all those bids going out now? Mm-hmm. especially let's think in the medical world. Cause that seems like one of the few things that hasn't been shaken too hard in our, in our universe is the medical. And mm-hmm. if anything, they're probably being accelerated that they're going to try and build more hospitals, renovate more hospitals, medical centers. Right. So that's going to keep going. But now if we're going to factor in the COVID, okay, how much longer does it take to get on site? If everybody's getting a temperature check, how long does it take to spread people out during break time to go through porta potties, all of that right now has got to be documented and pushed back to the company to tighten up those new bids going back out. Cause you know, I don't really think we can assume going forward that your current production rates are accurate going forward in, in this post COVID world. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point because all the, those kind of little details of it really are going to add up and it's going to make a big impact. Hey, innovators. Wanted to share some exciting news. The Bridging the Gap podcast has been nominated for the Construction Junkies 2020 Best Construction Podcast Award. I am so humbled and excited to be in the running with 11 other amazing podcasts. I'd be honored if you'd consider voting for the show in this category. We will have a link to vote in the show notes. Thank you for voting and thank you for continuing to listen to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Prior to this, they should have been doing it anyway of how long does it take to do anything and precisely feeding back the durations and the time and the quantities, you know, and factor in two, those weather delays. 
factoring in how long it takes to get the material, all that information you would think would have been fed back to the estimator every day anyway. Now it is so much more critical. So develop that sound process, that feedback loop to understand really what is happening in the field, how long things are taking, but also leverage new technology. You know, we have seen so many amazing devices come out in the last few years of the iPads, the tablets, the smartphones, the lasers, the scanners, the drones. Uh, a couple in particular think really about how are you documenting your job sites? Um, are you using photos? Are you using 360 photos? Uh, more to the point, are, are you in BIM? If you're in BIM, you know, there's a lot of amazing things we could talk about later with ICT Tracker, right, of how to mm -hmm. measure installed work. But there's got to be some play there in technology to document work that's put in place, quantify those numbers and get that back again to that estimating team, to the operations team to understand in the current times, how much work can you actually put in place? And mm -hmm. not just, you know, kind of guesstimating, well, we did uh, 80 feet of duck today. No, it needs to be, you know, quantified somehow. You can do that through a photo. Uh, it's even better when you do it to the model, right? If it's actually being detailed out, you know exactly what elements were installed in a given day. Right. That's really powerful to go back to the team and understand. So create the process, utilize some new technology, and kind of work through these changes on the fly. That's, that's the hardest thing. You know, the companies right now are having to operate their business like they normally do and reinvent it literally as we're speaking of how right. to operate and keep, keep everybody safe. Right. You're building the plane as you're flying it. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you have a list of the kind of top 10 best practices for greater productivity in 2020. wonder if you can give some of the, the highlights of those, of that list. Absolutely. Let's think about some different ways that we can do things. So if you're trying to change that mental model of how you're going to do things going forward, a couple of the first ones, we've talked about a few of them, is figure out a better way to manage your personnel. Manage your equipment. Manage your schedules. Those three alone should go pretty far into that and, and kind of looking at things differently. But mm. a few other ones we could talk about is – First, let's talk about safety performance. You know, traditionally I was saying improve your safety performance, which I still believe companies should improve their safety. Right now we're talking completely re rewriting what that is going to mean going forward. So safety has sure. got to be at the forefront of your production. Cause honestly, if you really think about it, when I was a safety director, I used to argue that safety is production's best friend. And people look at me like I was crazy. I'd say, well, think about it. If your job's going along fine, and by that I mean if no one is being hurt, if there are no accidents, if there's no near misses, if there's no fatalities, if the job is going along because it's safe, that is production's best friend. What's the worst thing that can happen to a job for production? Somebody is hurt. Right. Somebody gets a little bit more than hurt. Multiple people get hurt. In OSHA safety terms, they call that a catastrophe. If three or more people go to a hospital, right? Anytime there's an incident, an accident, an injury, the clock literally stops. Depending on how severe it is, it could be the difference in, you know, a crew stopping work because somebody's injured or a whole job stops. Because, you know, if unfortunately it is the worst end of that, let's say it is a fatality, 
and OSHA becomes involved and the insurance companies become involved. I, I've seen jobs shut down for weeks because of issues. Mm -hmm. So there's zero production at that point, right? So safety really is your best friend to keep production rolling yeah. at all times. Yeah, uh, we've talked sure. a little bit about the scheduling. If you're scheduling well and you're coordinating with the other trades, then you can keep that schedule moving and understanding how much manpower do you need on a job? How much material do you need on a job? Those are a lot of things you got to be talking about at all times, um, along with how much equipment. And a really kind of odd one that is kind of a purple elephant that people don't like to bring up. Conduct defect analysis. Mm. What does that mean? <laughs> when things don't go right, you need to understand why they didn't go right. And what I'm really hitting on here is analyzing rework costs. So again, my background came from a concrete company. Concrete's kind of one of those things you get it right the first time or not, because the not is not pretty. Right. You don't want to rework construction or concrete. <laughs> no, you pour a column in the wrong spot or a footer, you're jackhammering it out and redoing it. It's right. not easy. Yeah. So you really want to make sure you get it in there right the first time, you know. But again, even with that said, if you're working on the interior of a building and the MEPs, you can move systems. You just don't want to because it's getting into the pocket every time. You want to install it once or walk away. Right. So a few uh, things they can get to. How important is collaboration and communication across stakeholders? Very important. Very important. I think you got to start, honestly, first I would reverse them. I think first you have to have communication and internal communication for some reason is such a struggle for a lot of companies of if your team's out on the same page, how can you possibly think you're going to get on the same page with another company? or mm -hmm. multiple companies. So you got to have that internal communication first. And again, we're seeing a lot of changes in our industry of people having to be more open to communication and talking than they ever have before. And it's really starting to kind of uh, take hold. So if they have good, open, honest communication internally, then they have it with their teams. I think that's what opens the door for collaboration. Because let's be honest, if you're not talking to each other, if you're not honestly talking to each other, you're not going to be collaborating. It makes it much harder. It does. And collaboration in our industry is, it's such a new concept. Um, mm -hmm. When I came into it, it was still very much dog eat dog, unfortunately. It was who's in first, you know, eats first, you know, I, I'm here, you get out of the way. Collaboration, what? No, I'm here to put my work in place. I don't care about yours. And mm -hmm. you've seen a lot of changes with lean uh, some of the different project delivery methods that are coming out now, there, there's changes happening. But I think first you got to be, you have to have that proper communication inside the company and then to the outside company to even get to collaboration. And boy, now you think the back half of this year, how much more collaboration is going to have to occur for work to be put in place, to sequence things right, to keep everybody, you know, safe and at the right distance. Mm. That's a lot of collaboration of we're all in this together mentality versus me first. So how do you foster that kind of environment? Boy, it takes a long time. It really comes from the top, right? If the top, the, the owner, the project management team, that executive team, if they have that mentality and mm. they foster it through their teams, that's where it really starts. 
it's kind of hard for that to be a bottom up. That really has to, to me, it has to be a top down mentality of a company that is open, that believes in communication, that believes in collaboration. And the management team has to be there to help, you know, sit in on meetings and commit to it and be a part of it. But it definitely starts with at the top. Management has to 100% be involved in it and believe in it and probably push it at some level too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going back to analyzing the, the process and, um, you know, looking into that fun rework, it seems like there's, that requires some, some kind of honest humility to, to really analyze properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those not familiar with the, the money ball approach, can you unpack what that is and, and how that's useful in this context? It's an interesting concept to think about. If you've seen the movie or you read the book or read any of the stories, you know, what Billy Bean was doing out with the Oakland Athletics is fascinating to think about what he was trying to do. And I think a lot of those principles we could apply into our industry. Now, some people may not like it or may agree or disagree, but let's look at how we really form our crews. And I've had spoke with a few project managers recently about this topic and no one probably wants to come on air and admit it, but let's just go ahead and throw it out there. When companies are creating their crews, they have multiple crews for a reason, right? And more importantly, what I'm getting at is you got your best team, your next team, the next team, and kind of the team is not so good. They're not all teams are created equal for some reason. And I've never understood that in the industry of, why do some crews perform better than others? Mm-hmm. But how do you understand how a crew performs? So let's just say you have three teams, your top team, your best team, that next team that's not quite there, and then the other team, well, it's just everybody else. How are those teams put together? You know, which superintendent or general superintendent or general manager is developing the crews and putting them together? Because for whatever reason, either intentionally or unintentionally, it seems like this happens quite often that, you know, not all teams put together are created equal. They don't mm-hmm. all have superstars. Right. Some of them may not even have one. So what are they doing about putting the teams together? Well, let's talk about that labor cost. Now, this does get a little interesting, right? If we're talking union versus open shop, but all teams have a cost. They all have an hourly rate and a burden. You can factor all of that in. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what I've seen some companies put into a number for a superintendent and I'm talking all the way down to the software they use, the truck they drive around, the insurance cost. I mean, there's a lot of things in that quote overhead number, but they're not always doing that all the way down to, you know, the person running a piece of equipment or carrying sheetrock. So how much labor does it really cost when you look at the individual mm-hmm. per hour, when you look at them for the week, are you really sitting down thinking, how am I organizing these teams the best? Do they all have the right skill set? Do they have the right certifications? You know, it's amazing to think just that one alone, just certifications, right? And let's talk purely safety certifications where a lot of companies have adopted now where it's a minimum. Every foreman has to have, you know, it used to be a 10 hour. Now I'm thinking it's pretty accepted a 30 hour minimum level safety training. Mm -hmm. And those are very well documented requirements, but still a foreman shows up to the job without an OSHA 30 hour. Really? You thought they were just going to, you know, slip through there or not have the right certifications for the crew for fall protection for different things. So knowing how much they cost, knowing if they have the right certifications, but then where it gets really hard, and maybe this is where some of the personality comes into it, is reviewing the people's performance. Each person, 
each crew member, how often are you really looking at the metrics of what they put in place? There's also just some interpersonal dynamics. Not everybody, unfortunately, gets along. Some superintendents don't want to work certain workers for whatever reason. How do you yeah. get around that? But you got to think about how are you building your teams? And the last part is honestly looking and evaluating, analyzing that team performance. If you really could have all the numbers throughout the year of all the projects that you completed, there's obviously winners and there's not winners. Why are there not winners? What happened on those projects? Was it person related? Was it crew related? Was it owner related? What is happening there instead of just saying, well, you know, some jobs made money and other jobs didn't. Well, why did the ones make money? Why did the other ones not? You know, what are you studying? What are you digging into to really figure mm -hmm. that out? Right. Hard questions. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. I think it's interesting uh, on how to, how do you kind of level the, the playing fields and really compare apples and apples. Mm -hmm. and the, the personality thing is, is really interesting to me because I, I think that's a very underrated uh, factor in all this. In that There's some people that just might not get along with somebody at all and they're not productive because of that dynamic. And then you put them in another environment, all of a sudden they're one of your, your top performers because they click with everybody. Um, yep. And you know, there's some of, well, suck it up and deal with the personalities that you got, but <laughs> that's not always the case. <laughs> so nope. factoring that into the equation too, I think is important. True. Very true. Uh, what do you think is the, the best way to kind of track and reduce the number of times that a material is handled on a job site? The amount of hands that have to touch one item is, is kind of crazy sometimes. It is amazing. Uh, the more I got into lean construction methods towards the end of the time I was in the business and you would sit back and just watch how many times things are moved. Uh, it can be shocking. Uh, a lot of it, I really think it hinges on lean mentality. You know, some of the numbers that I've researched before is the average touch time on a job is three times for most materials, which I think has got to be a little bit higher than that. Cause if you're really thinking about it from a core, you know, I always want to dig into that number and think three times. Well, it's put on a truck somewhere. That's one. It's driven to the job site. So it gets to the job site. It has to be unloaded once, usually to the ground or to a buck hoist. So there's at least three right there. Mm -hmm. But even when a material gets on a floor or in a certain area, it gets shuffled around a lot sometimes because one of the mentalities that I observed a lot and granted, this is, you know, we're in different times. Uh, when I first started in the business, every superintendent's motto seemed to be, I want everything I can have on my job at all times. I need as much material. I need everything that I can have here so they always can work. They have no excuse not to work. Well, mm -hmm. if you load a whole job up full of materials, and this is just the safety guy not understanding of, you can only put so much stuff in these buildings. If it's full of material, how are you going to build in it? Right. And that's when you would see, you know, just, sheetrock pile after sheetrock pile in the always in the way of something 
because mm-hmm. you know if they've put four thousand extra boards of sheetrock in a building they cannot possibly install an right. unconditioned space too there's so many spinoffs just from the sheetrock alone how long has this sheetrock been sitting here right what's going on or piles of shuffling around the building <laughs> oh yeah wood uh one of the jobs i remember going to a garden apartment type job I swear the superintendent ordered the whole job at once because everywhere he looked, it was just like a lumber yard and they're constantly moving them. So, so how do you get, how do you get around that? Right. For, again, let's go back to pre-planning. How much material do you honestly think crews can install in a day or in a week and sequence those things out? The second one, and this gets kind of hard because it can be a little bit combative is document any obstructions. So if you're at the trade level and somebody's work, because crews could be in your way or somebody's material could be in your way. You have to document that in those daily reports that you should be doing and telling your office, you know, Hey, the reason we didn't work in these units or these areas was because, and take some photos and mm-hmm. you take some videos, but you've got to document those obstructions. Cause if you don't, is this going to come back to haunt you? Mm-hmm. Next one, definitely utilize that lean mentality of just in time delivery, which for, and I've, I've spoken with so many superintendents about this. It is a very unnerving feeling of just-in-time delivery because for so long, the mentality was, I need everything here. We want everything. So there's no reason they can't work. Well, certain job sites, you know, think of big cities, downtown Chicago, downtown New York, Boston, even I'd argue downtown Atlanta, those small footprints, you can only hold so much stuff. Sure. You can't move it all around. So you got to literally have just a day or two, but that is also making you dependent upon your supply chain, which boy, right now is such a scary thought, but Mm -hmm. you know, just bring it enough to install it when you can. Next level is try and place the material as close to the install as possible. Some materials you can do this and you see a lot with prefab, right? Of the way you now see electrical panels created offsite, Mm -hmm. uh, plumbing panels, risers, there's certain thing in the MEPs that they're able to kind of compartmentalize this pretty good and send it to the side and, and assemble it quickly. But there's certain things, right? Sheetrock, you got metal studs all over the place and those get put up and you have the walls and then there's stacks and stacks of drywall that have to get put in place. And it's not light and they're big and bulky. So it's really something you got to sequence and think about. Uh, but fabrication, you know, this one we've hit on a little bit. Doing as much as you can in a prefab world really, Mm -hmm. I think, will help speed a lot of this up. Uh, Talking right now with some companies actually looking more at the, you know, the metal stud panel walls. Uh, Before there was that system called Epicor about 10 years ago. Now you're looking at a lot more prefab in the metal studs. Hmm. You know, if they can figure out how to do that in a metal stud wall, we've already seen the amazing strides that, you know, the MEPs have created where they're creating so many assemblies off-site that they just have to sh- put on a pallet shrink wrap and send over and install and make lighter connections. Right. But there's a lot of that that we could get going in, in, in a lot of other areas I would wager. And then the last one is, you know, at the end of the day, either a quality control person, a superintendent or an executive, somebody come out and just do time study movements where what thing I used to do is I'd go down and write the time and the date on a box or a stack of sheetrock. There's certain things when I was tracking a couple of weeks of literally going to a job every day and Mm -hmm. just putting little timestamps on stuff and coming back every day and seeing how long it stayed there. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Easy, low tech way to do it. Just write down your name, you know, or your initials, your date on something and come back every day and see how long it stays there. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, 
you tapped on it a little bit earlier that there's kind of this, this race to be first in the industry. How does that mindset trip people up? It definitely uh, eliminates collaboration when it's literally a race of my stuff has to go in before yours. There's no collaboration there. It's, it's all mm -hmm. about me. It's not a collaborative environment of trying to understand specifically how in a work element things can go in there. Mm -hmm. uh, some things is still just innately going to be that way, right? Of, well, a wall has to be built before you can put electrical and plumbing in it. Right. But, you know, once that wall is up and it's inspected and, and, and you're ready to put things in, you know, it, it's kind of the chicken and the egg scenario of well, what does need to go in first. But that, that, that sequencing gets so hard because everybody's wanting to say, I've got mine and I can move on. I've got mine and I can move on. So it really has to be from that top level mentality. Um, mm. And I think past the general contractor, the CM of the owner really understanding holistically how the product is getting built, whether that's a hospital, a condo, an apartment, a school, they all kind of go together in a certain order, but to get it done right with that quality installation, with a safe installation, there's a lot of, you know, give and take that has to occur to make things happen, you know, because we're at the beginning, we're talking about the, you know, this miracle of construction, right? Mm -hmm. Of we're trying to control chaos, we're this symphony of things going together that don't exactly want to go together sometimes. Got to have that collaboration there for sure. Yeah. So how do you encourage people to get out of their own way? Whew. I think that's another one that it really starts at the top. It really starts with the, uh, the management of these companies. You know, um, we were talking before about that status quo of me first. That's that mentality runs really deep in our industry and it's going to take uh, a few more rounds of work, maybe another generation or two to get it out of there, but to really start and get that openness and the collaboration, the communication starting, you know, the whole concept of productivity, continual improvement, lifelong learner, that all begins at the top of an organization. Mm -hmm. If those owners, if the managers, if they have that open mindset, and they're encouraging it, you know, in, in a downhill mentality, that's what you're really looking for is people that want to improve and that want to work with others. It's trying to have that mindset and encourage it in others. Hmm. Nice. So if you could uh, embrace your, your inner Thanos and snap your fingers and change the industry in one, uh, one second, what one of the, the productivity tips would you most want to have adopted? Hmm. I would still probably lean heavily on, you know, tracking your own installation. I, I just don't understand what the pushback is of feeding information back to the company. Uh, it just still seems to be such an issue about tracking production and whether it's at the personal level, the crew level, it's just such an anomaly because honestly to, to de develop any kind of productivity numbers, you have to know what's been installed, but it is, mm -hmm. it seems to be such a, you know, a teeth pulling exercise in this industry for some reason. Now, granted, there's, there's lots of companies doing it very amazingly. There's lots of organizations pushing it, but you know, as a whole, if we're talking the whole of construction and we're talking commercial, we're talking industrial, we're talking medical residential, mm -hmm. that still just does seem to be the Holy grail of chasing productivity and to get productivity. You have to know what's been installed, honestly, knowing what's been installed. 
every single day. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a great one. Uh, what are some projects that you're working on that you're really excited about right now? Well, I'm excited to be on the new team that I'm working on. So for those of you that don't know, I work for ICT Tracker, which does amazing thing with your 3D models, specifically with tracking. So right now we're doing a lot of outreach, just talking to companies, trying to understand their processes. And mm -hmm. trust me, I hear a lot of interesting conversations of how they track production, where, you know, unfortunately the status quo still seems to be, uh, we print out the plans and we use a highlighter and we highlight what has been installed and then we call the office or they text the office or they send an email. I, I've mapped out some very interesting ways I that bet. some companies are getting that information in. And I've seen some amazing ways that companies are doing it a little bit faster, but that, that's kind of one of the core missions of understanding how work has been installed and developing really data. And that's one thing we could talk a lot about, right? The difference in information, mm -hmm. which is what I would argue is when you highlight a piece of paper and write down you installed 60 feet, that's information. That's not usable data. And mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to work on with the ICT tracker app is developing data that companies can analyze and build off of to make better decisions going forward. Nice. So how do people get in touch with you or, or find out more about ICT tracker? Well, we have a nice website. If you want to go to icttracker.com, or if you want to talk to me directly, you can send me an email at robert at icttracker.com. Uh, you can also find me on social media. My handle is at ConAppGuru. I'm not too hard to find. I'm on most of your major platforms. So LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, kind of limit to those. There's a few other ones that mm, not quite the right fit, but uh, also if you want to give me a call, numbers 404-640-2549. Love to talk to anybody in time to help you out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on and talking all things productivity today. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Yeah. And, and thank you to all those listening. If you are interested in learning any more, you can obviously visit ICT Tracker's website, or you can reach out to our sponsor, Applied Software at ASTI.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Enjoyed the episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyan, produced by Alyssa Chartier, edited and produced by Eric Daniel, Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.